Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ideas Network. Larry Miller here, and we are talking about the book Dreaming in Spanish. It's a memoir, and on the show today, it's our first book in the 2024 Book Club series. Uh, Great to have you with us, Larry Miller here, as I said, and with us in the studio is the book's author, Sarah Alvarado. She's a writer, speaker, she's an advocate for... Uh, working for racial equity in real estate. She published the Racial Justice Toolkit for uh, Real Estate Professionals, a guide for change agents, and uh, lots of articles and essays. So as we talk with her about her book, Dreaming in Spanish, I hope you'll join in. Did you get a chance to read the book? Uh, What would you like to ask, Sarah? Maybe you have similar experiences you'd like to share, whether you read the book or not, as you you listen in. Give us a call. The number is 800-642-1234, 1-800-642-1234. Or you can email us the email address, ideas at wpr.org, ideas at WPR.org. Sarah Alvarado, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you here in person. I love your book, so Thank you. start with that. <laughs> and I love the title, Reading in Spanish. Did you come up with that title? or I mean, I thought it fit the book perfectly. It actually was the last thing. The book was written, <laughs> and, the, and we had a, I had a title that was on hold. It wasn't the right title. And um, and a lot of people have the title before they have the book. I, I definitely had the book before I had the title. It was on the list. It was on a short list. And then I um, had the owner of Mystery to Me Bookstore, Joanne. Mm-hmm. She read the book. She read the manuscript before it was published. And I was talking to her about it. And it was actually on her short list because we were talking about titles. And I was like, that's it. If it was on my short list and it was on her short list, it was the one. Yeah. And the subtitle, of course, An Unexpected Love Story in Puerto Vallarta. You know what? We could start, just to sort of set the stage, it wouldn't hurt to start maybe from your prologue? Sure. Let's uh, Because I think that's kind of sets things up a little bit. All right, I'll just jump right into reading. Why not? Okay, prologue. I have lived most of my life in a place where the four seasons are distinct, sometimes extreme, and always telling. This story is from a season in my life that was incredibly distinct, pretty extreme, and quite telling. It is my story, told from my memory and recounted from numerous journals. Some names have been changed, some have not. Memory is tricky. In writing this memoir, there were times I called on my memory or read through my journals and could feel exactly where I was at that moment in time. The veil was so thin. While other times the distance between now and then was was as extreme as a Wisconsin winter and a Puerto Vallarta summer. Almost impossible to comprehend, yet quite possible to work through. This book couldn't have been written without sharing traumas from my past that may be hard to read. My content warning includes substance abuse, sexual assault, rape, and unexamined privileges. As a white woman in my mid-20s, I was incredibly brave and introspective while also lacking significant cultural and racial awareness. This story is from a time when the privileges I was born with that I hadn't earned were tucked under the rug, supporting me without direct acknowledgement or a deeper understanding of harm and impact. The corners of the rug were beginning to curl up slightly, 
while so much was yet to be revealed. In being truthful to who I was during this time, I show the self-confidence my mom instilled in me that as a woman is likely unrecognizable to my ancestors. I also show the ignorance and entitlement that often comes with whiteness, which the next generations will likely be appalled by. I'm embarrassed to show some of who I was back then, and it's scary to do so publicly. There are some ugly truths and a limited perspective, but also deep wisdom and limitless love, both and. I'm grateful for the learning and support from my friends, healers, coaches, and teachers I've worked with to complete this book, and I'm grateful for the love and healing I've experienced in writing and sharing this story. Uh, it's a wonderful way. Uh, I think it's a wonderful way to start uh, this conversation. You, um, you've, you know, maybe another way to do it too, to add to that, is to talk about the book. It's in four parts. Mm-hmm. How did you? I uh, maybe you could um, briefly describe the four parts, and. Um, and that gives us sort of a timeline. Okay. So it starts off when I'm flying to Mexico. And um, so I start kind of in the middle. Like it, it, it's yeah. not where you you were to get to where you were. And so the beginning part is a lot of where I was in the moments of realizing who I wanted to be and how to get there, but also a lot of flashbacks. So it's actually the first hundred pages are, is place-based flashbacks, um, location. And the second part, um, I, I don't, I don't have this memorized, Larry. (laughs) (laughs) I I can tell you all about the book, but, (laughs) um, the second part is likely when Carlos and I fell in love. You met Carlos, meeting Carlos and your experiences in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. I mean, if I tell you a lot and we'll have some spoil, I mean, obviously Carlos and I are still together, so. Well, (laughs) no, I mean, that's the second part. The third part is, uh, Moving on with your uh, with a pregnancy, yeah, I got which knocked is up. no, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Unexpected. And you haven't been there very long either. <laughs> no, the timeline is very, um, very in like yes, it's packed full. Yeah, and then of course the the after part is after the pregnancy and comments. Uh, yeah, this, the the last part is really around the multicultural integration of me having a baby in in Mexico and um, bringing our families together. You know, and it's like what six months or eight. I arrived in December of 99. <laughs> I'll give you the short. I'll give you the short. Give me the short. Okay, arrived in December of 99. I started, uh, I got, I took my last drink in February. Yeah. Um, I had met Carlos in the end of January. So that was the pretty quick one. And then by May was pregnant and yeah. August was married. And then yeah. Alex was born in January of 2001. Yeah. When you were 25. So yeah. 24 when you first went down yeah. there. And you were, you, it maybe talk about uh, in, uh, why you were going there. I mean, you, uh, there were a lot of things that you were kind of maybe running away from, but other things, but you were also running to something maybe. Yeah. And that, and that had been a pattern. So I was scared that I was running, that I couldn't run. Like how many times can you physically leave a place to go find something else and, and end up where you were? Um, 
So I think I was pretty aware of that, but I had been really struggling with drugs and alcohol um, and a party scene, mostly just this party lifestyle. And um, I had been sexually assaulted in um, about six months earlier and then drugged and raped a couple of weeks before I left for Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. And you were, so you were kind of running away from that life and uh, I think running away thinking maybe you could clean yourself up in terms of alcohol and so forth. But then you chose, and I, you know, I'm thinking, why would you choose Puerto Vallarta? (laughs) If you're going to get away from, and not so much from the people, the, 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 the citizens there, but from the life of uh, people like us who go there for vacation Mm -hmm. and just to have a good time. And so there's all kinds, I mean, I have friends who spent time in Puerto Vallarta and, some of them were kind of hazy in their recollections of yeah. everything that went on. And there is a party scene there, which I found, you know, a couple <laughs> days <laughs> upon arriving. Um, but there also was the ocean. And there was yeah. a, a country that I really wanted to learn about and know. And I wanted to dream in Spanish. And so there was a connection to the ocean and the land and the culture that was calling to me. And... um you know, there's party everywhere you go. Yeah, there is. I yeah, if you're looking for it, you right. you, you can find it. And uh, and you were a Spanish major. Yep, I had gotten my major in Spanish from the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. So, you know, I could understand and read and write really well, but I sounded like I spoke Spanish from Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, how can I, how can I get you my ended, speaking skills better? Ended every uh, sentence with ya. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no. Um, so, uh, and this book really does bury your soul. Uh, and it felt like, it, to me, it felt like uh, this is about a 10-year period here. <laughs> when it, it, But it's really a very, very short period of, uh, in your life. But it, it expands out because you're thinking back and looking at spirit experiences back from your childhood and every place else. Um, it must have taken a lot of time and to 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 write this because your all your family, both families, um, your Mexico, your family in Mexico and your family here are going to be reading this, and it really seems really pretty darn truthful to me. I mean, you don't seem to spare too much in terms of your own thoughts. <laughs> I I. I believe that shining a light on truth helps set us free. And I, I didn't really want to be defined by my trauma. I don't feel like I am. And I think a lot of people um, have that kind of weight on them. And to be able to share it and, and be who you are out in the world, um, it's liberating. And I'm tired of people keeping secrets because they're worried about what other people will think and how it will define them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I thought to myself, well, if my mother had written a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> with a with, with a story that you tell. Yeah. And you know your son Alex. I I how how did he do? <laughs> um. So 
you know, there's been a lot of transparency. He read it. it. My other son didn't. That you know, family members don't always read your books, and that's totally fine. Um, Alex definitely read it, and he said he appreciated knowing our love story mostly. You know, I had Hmm. I had open. I'd been very open about my sexual assaults um, just as a mother raising kids. You know, I feel like it's something that we need to do. Um, So yeah, he appreciated it. Which I was grateful for. <laughs> I did need his blessing. And Carlos, too. I mean, kudos to Carlos for being incredibly supportive and yeah. always, yeah. There were many times I was like, I'm not going to publish it. I'm not going to publish it. And he was the one that was like, yes, you are. You want to. It's your dream. Do it. So in the first part of your book, you're, um, um, there's a lot going on in your life. And you kind of have a plan or you think you have a plan. I, I remember an AA member said, um, uh, Sarah, it seems there's a lot in your life that's not in your plan. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that statement. <laughs> there's a lot in your life that's not your plan. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah. I, for me, the one of the main themes is surrender. So, like, we can plan all day long, but sometimes life is going to throw us curveballs and surrendering and um, rolling with it. um, That's been a really important theme in my life, which actually I've gone back to many, many times. When things don't go the way I plan them to go, then I'm like, okay, God, what do you got for me? I'm here. Um, I I can roll with it. And you're and how how would you describe yourself at, at that time as a twenty four year old? Um, I was introspective, um, and I really wanted I wanted a deeper spiritual understanding. I wanted to have more connection. I wanted to feel like I was authentic with who I was and living in alignment. I didn't really know what that meant at that time, but yeah. that's what I. That's what I was. That's what I wanted, and what maybe it was because my mom had it, <clears throat> so I had maybe. I had an example of it. Well, I I thought as I I was reading that. Well, you were more a lot more introspective than um, I sure the heck was when I was twenty three, twenty four years old. So I kind of admired you for that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you were all right. Like everybody, we have our problems. Mm-hmm. Some are are harder than others, but. You were you've clung to that uh, introspective part that uh, I didn't, <laughs> so I I kind of I admire that. Yeah, let's give props to my mom for that. Yeah, I talk about your mother a bit. She, yeah, your mother plays a huge role in the book. Oh my gosh, I love my mom so much. Yes, she does. I couldn't not have her be a main a main character in this book. She she was my spiritual teacher um and so watching her but not because she taught me it was because she was on her own learning journey and I watched it and I got to witness it and then she would whisper the whisperings in my own ear around you know things happen and we can we can decide we can choose how we're going to handle it what we're going to do next you can choose there were just you know her angel cards and her way of looking at life and her determination to to love just that that was it that was the most important thing and and she see, she has so much she had so much peace 
in her. Yeah. Um, so that really comes through. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, that really comes through. Sarah Elvarado, our guest today. She's a writer, a speaker, an advocate working for r- racial equity. Her book is titled Dreaming in Spanish. And I hope you'll add the subtitle, An Unexpected Love Story in Puerto Vallarta. You can join in with your questions, comments, maybe your own experiences. Love to hear from you. The number to call, 800 642 one 1-800-642-1234. Or you could email us, the email address, ideas at WPR. Dot org ideas at wpr.org. Jill Nadeau is our producer today. Lee Rayburn, our engineer. I'm Larry Mueller for the Ideas Network. Great to have you along today as we talk with our guest author, Sarah Alvarado, about her memoir. It's titled Dreaming in Spanish, an Unexpected Love Story in Puerto Vallarta. Again, you can join in. Email us to ideas at wpr.org. Or uh, give a call. Love to hear from you. The number is 800-642-1234. 800-642-1234. And emailed uh, who read the book. Says, this is a great book. And yes, the title certainly fits. Uh, she says she was raised in a similar privileged Madison life and can relate to it so much. Uh, and thank you for sharing your story, Sarah. Aw, thanks, Ann. That is a, 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 a very, very nice comment. And, you know, uh, all right, so your parents were multimillionaires, but uh, your family did, I, and my family too, we uh, lived a, and live a privileged life. Yeah, I mean, privilege, there's a lot of ways to look at privilege, right? Yes. Like socioeconomic, education, safety. Um, so... I, I, a lot of the privileges I'm talking about are, you know, the the whiteness, understanding that, um, and and we are not really taught to talk about or think about our privileges, at least back then, right in the '80s. So I think being able to that was actually one of the hardest parts writing the book is I wanted to tell the story, um, but I couldn't tell it without really addressing who I was back then. So going through some of my journals, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Sarah, <laughs> what? Um, and and I chose not to skip over them. I really wanted to find a way to incorporate. Yeah, this this is the real truth. This is who I was. Not proud of it. And we can change when we learn to understand it. You know, as I was reading it, I was trying to think of a, a, a memoir, and I'm thinking about those who are family members who are going to read it. And I said, well, she could have made a novel out of this. And then I thought. No, it's too far fetched. <laughs> There's too much that happens. <laughs> People would say, this "No, can't, this can't happen." <laughs> right. Seriously. <laughs> so yeah. I'm glad you made it a memoir. Don in Iron River, uh, your turn. Hi, Don. Thanks for calling. Say, I took uh, traveling in four semesters at the UW, and I like that title of the book, "Dreaming in Spanish." When I started. Um, Dreaming in Italian language, that's when I became very fluent. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's an indicator. That's when you know you're really you really got it when you're dreaming Spanish. It's like the the ultimate dream when you're hoping to learn another language. Yeah. And and is is that when you like for you is is that when you really feel like you had it? I yeah. Mean, I mean, you were that... pretty excited. You ran to tell Carlos, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, I was totally excited. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just it, it it means that your brain is working differently, right? I mean, kids who grow up bilingual they dream back and forth all the time, and it's like no big deal. But to learn a second language when you're older, it's it's a different ballgame. Yeah, Don, thanks for calling. Uh, dreaming in Italian. <laughs> there's your book, Don. <laughs> thanks a lot for calling. Appreciate it. Well, um, you know, and just going back to Puerto Vallarta, you had no idea what you were going to do. I mean, how to earn a living. Yeah, I mean, I knew I was, my options were very limited. So teaching English, which actually, when you get a degree in Spanish, you don't know anything about teaching English. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, um, that was an interesting challenge. But yeah, I, I didn't have Google. I didn't, um, I didn't know. I had a book, you know, one of those guidebooks. I didn't even know that there were mountains in Puerto Vallarta when I landed. I didn't have very much time to research it. Um, so it was quite, I, I took a leap. And, and for your parents and for your mother, <clears throat> you know, your mother said uh, when you told her you were going to go, she said, well, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and now as a mom with young adults. <laughs> I love I love this question, Larry. Because honestly, I have so many friends who have kids, you know, my kids are 19 and 23, and they're terrified of the ki- of the decisions their kids are making. And I go back to my mom trusted me. She yeah. trusted my journey. She maybe she didn't trust me, but she trusted my journey. She trusted that I would be able to make decisions um and also bounce back from decisions that maybe weren't so great. Uh, or, and maybe she trusted herself that she would be there and that I would know to go to her if I did need, you know, to come back or whatever. So I don't doubt that she was terrified. Um, and there are times when I'm terrified when my kids make decisions. But it, what greater gift to give your kids than to say, you know, I believe in I believe in you and I believe you to make your own decisions. Yeah. And that came from your mom. Yeah. What about your dad? You, you didn't have a, a at least in the book. Parts of the book, earlier parts of the book, you, it didn't seem you had a great relationship with your dad when you when you were younger. How's that? How did that change, or has that changed? We have a lot in common. You know, we can talk business all day long, and he's been a solid rock in my life. I've learned a lot from him. So, you know, I think um, there definitely are challenging relationships in families. And again, I didn't want to pretend that things weren't the way they were. And so I told the best story I could based on what my experiences were. Um, yeah. And you, uh, you titled your uh, subtitle, I guess, is an unexpected love story. And there are different kinds of love stories in this for sure. The first one is how you met your and married your husband. And what, talk about what it was like that or what it was about him that drew you to him. Oh, what drew me to Carlos? <laughs> I mean, we connected instantly as as friends. I mean, I I thought he was gay, so I thought he was a safe a safe person to really just open up to. Um, clearly, he wasn't, and we connected um, on different levels. So Carlos and I 
you know, I think we've had lifetimes together and um, we balance each other out. We're really different, you know, where I'm extroverted and tell my story. I'm like an open book. He's private and much more reserved. And yet we support each other 100 percent. Yeah, I saw that there was a, a certain maturity that I even back when you were 24, 25 years old, a, a maturity to the relationship. He brought that, Larry. I I didn't have that. Much <laughs> yeah, I did not I either. I didn't either. And there's actually a part, a story in the book that I tell that I just love so much um, because it was really showing that we get to choose how we want our relationship to be. And he was the one that said, "I don't want name calling." I I'd called him in. I, I don't I don't think I can say it on on the air, but I called him a bad word, and um, and he was like, "Yeah, no." And I was like, well, but this is how it is. Like, when you get mad, you accidentally <laughs> swear at each other. And he was like, no, we actually get to choose. And that was like, I I was not, um, I wasn't mature enough at that point, but I, I wanted to be in a relationship with someone like that. And, or I didn't know that I wanted that, but he brought that. And I was like, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's make our own decisions on how we want. And that's actually how we did religion and spirituality with our family, too. We didn't do what our parents did. We made up our own story. And uh, speaking of that, um, well, another part of the love story, let's get to, let me do that first. It seems like, you know, you're you're finding your way to love yourself. Mm -hmm. And maybe talk about that journey and, and what was the hardest part of that? I mean, I think that's the real love story of the book. You know, like, obviously, Carlos and I fall in love, and it's romantic and beautiful. Um, But learning to love yourself is really your lifetime love story, because if you can't love yourself, how do you you love others? Um, And I didn't love myself because I was in such a destructive mode of life, and I would wake up hating what I had done the night before. And it was hard at that point in my life to differentiate my actions from who I was as a person. So like, yeah, I was, I was making mistakes, but that didn't mean that was who I was. And learning to, to take care of myself, like, like self-love is the goal, but self-care is really where you prove to yourself um, how to love yourself. And, and that really meant I needed to quit drinking. I needed to quit drinking, even though I didn't want to. What helped you get the upper hand in that? Um, well, first it came from my mom actually being super honest with me and saying, hey, hon, I think you're an alcoholic. And I didn't, I, I was like, eh, you know, I can, I, I was more of a binge drinker, you know, I wasn't like an everyday drinker. And she came at it from much more of a factual place. Like, here's how the brain works. Here's how addiction works. Here's how alcoholism works. It wasn't a, you're a bad person because, or you're never going to be any, you know, it wasn't like that. And so I was able to look at it from a logical, practical place. And then, um, I was open to how to get better, right? Like I went and found a book at the bookstore and I was like, okay, maybe I'll, and then I talked to a friend about it and she knew about AA meetings in Mexico. And so I was like, all right, these are all the signs pointing me in the direction I don't really want to go in, but this is where I'm going to go. I wonder, has your experience in that along this helped you help others with addiction problems of any I, sort or not? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, it's not a part of my um, career path in terms yeah. of, but I talk about it openly. 
and um, I don't hide anything. Uh, Alfonso is uh, was an elderly student who taught you a simple way to meditate, and I I first I found the process really cool, <laughs> and the way you wrote it so vivid, wonderful. Um, it's a way to get to the the present and away from the problems of the. You got if, is it in you to read it? <laughs> <laughs> well, to read that, I, yeah. I, I, and and Elf, you taught, and you're you're teaching. By the way, I should just say you're you were teaching uh, people English, mm-hmm. um, and and it wasn't a tr- traditional fifteen year olds or whatever uh, students. These were a, a broad range of. And this one guy was Alfonso. You struck up some conversations with him over time. I mean, he was my teacher. He ended up to be my teacher. And I love that about teaching and students and teachers. And we're all, um, yeah. Okay. So Alfonso was, he was an older man. Um, and we were, I guess we became kind, we kind, kind of became friends. And he taught me the value of slowing down. Um, so I'm going to start on page 87. This was one of the first times that we'd hung out. While we sat on my front porch one morning after class, way above the city, he directed me to find a non-moving object in the distance or nearby to look at. Don't look at it hard. Look at it softly so you can also see all around the object. I was looking at a spot on a rooftop. Then, as I relaxed, I started to notice the clouds moving, even though I hadn't taken my eyes off the spot on the roof. A bird flew within my sight. There was a parasail and boats. I started to see without directly looking at the movement. Now listen. What do you hear? There are layers of sounds, and as you listen carefully, you'll be able to notice each on its own individually, Alfonso said. He was practicing alongside me. I heard the buses. I heard the dogs. Not just one dog, but three barking dogs. I wondered if they were talking to each other. I heard neighbors chatting nearby and children yelling further down the hill. The sounds were layered and distanced. Have you listened to every sound there is to hear, he asked. I thought for a moment and listened again, noticing all the sounds I had identified. Yes, I replied. Now feel your senses. Feel the air on your skin, the hair on your head, your legs against the chair, your heart beating. And so I did. I felt the sweat on the back of my neck. I felt a fly land on my thigh. I felt my bra pinching under my arm. We sat there so still, so focused, and so relaxed at the same time together but apart. This is the tool I use when I want to come back to the present moment, get grounded, and open my heart to messages beyond the human world. I use this time to connect with the divine, ask for support, and give gratitude to the universe and my higher spirit. You know, um, that alone would be, to me, <laughs> worth the price of the book. <laughs> there you go. You just got I'm gonna it. I'm going to try that. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. You haven't? I- I I haven't done it yet, okay. but I I uh, I intend to follow the uh, Sarah Alvarado method <laughs> of getting myself to the present and forgetting about uh, or you know the, all of the other little problems yeah. that may exist in my life. It, it's um, you know uh, this thread. There's a thread of spirituality that runs through your book. 
and it seems important to you, or it seemed at the time to be important to you. Yeah, I mean, it still is important to me. I I, I wouldn't call it a a spiritual teaching book at all, but it was definitely the story of how I learned to be able to connect and and live a more intentionally spiritual life for whatever that is. I, I didn't I didn't grow up religious, so I didn't have a church or a temple to go to every every week. Um, I didn't have that community and I but I again I saw my mom and she had she had a spiritual life and I was like, I want that. Yeah, and your your mom was Jewish, I believe, mm-hmm. and your dad was, uh, he raised, was raised Catholic. Catholic. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the uh, situation you were in as you you grew up. So you were you were kind of in a way, I suppose, had a chance to look at pretty broad differences. Yeah. My mom's side of the family is very Jewish, and my dad's side of the family is very Catholic. And so I think also having that mixed experience, I had a friend. In third grade, one time, tell me, well, you can't be both. Because she was like, are you Jewish or Catholic? And I was like, well, I'm both. And she was like, you can't be both. And I was like, well, I am. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't really tell me what I can and can't be. Um, but, you know, there is this concept. And, and raising kids who are both, you know, Mexican and have my heritage, um, Irish, Jewish, you can. You can be a lot of things. Sarah Alvarado, our guest today, and uh, her book is titled Dreaming in Spanish. Love to hear from you. Give us a call or shoot us an email. You can call us uh, with your own thoughts, maybe your own experiences. Love to hear them. The number is 800-642-1234, 1-800-642-1234. Or you could email us, the email address, ideas at wpr.org, ideas at WPR.org. I'm Larry Mueller. You're listening to the Ideas Network. If you haven't had a chance to read Dreaming in Spanish uh, yet, I hope you get that chance. Sarah Alvarado, our guest today, we're talking about us, our first book club selection of the year, and it's really great to have her with us today. Number to call, 800-642-1234. Email to ideas at wpr.org. Uh, let's go to the phones. Rochelle and Madison, thank you for calling. What's on your mind? Hi, good morning. I just really am loving this conversation with Sarah. I lived abroad when I was 15 years old for a semester, and I really love Sarah's comment because it was such a gift for my family to trust me and my judgment and my decisions at this time, because living abroad is such a unique experience. Yeah. Thank you uh, very much for calling. Comment on that, Sarah? I mean, yeah, just in terms of um, how we're raising our kids, it's not normal to trust them. Like we're, we're at like this, this concept of hierarchy and well, I know what's best for you. And how do we know what's best for somebody? You know, thank you so much, Rochelle. I, I was thinking back because at, at about the same time you were in Puerto Vallarta, I was in uh, Trinidad and Tobago working on an agency for international development project. And but I so I was old, a little older than I was older than twenty five for sure. Uh, but um, it is it was a, quite an eye opening experience to me. And when I came back, I started an exchange program. Mm with the University of the West Indies. 
And over the years, many hundreds of students have itched some from Trinidad here in the fall term when it's still fairly warm, and our students going to uh, Trinidad in the I mean, it's critical to open. How else do you open your mind and, and your heart to just see that, yes, we're all so different and so the same? Yeah, but I, and I also, probably like Rochelle, I, I, you know, we always had exit interviews with uh, the folks. And, and even down the road a bit, I uh, would check back in or learn, you know, hear from the students who left because they all had to take a class from me before they went. Mm. Um, and 99 out of 100 would say, well, you know, that was the best experience of my whole life. Yeah. Of my whole schooling. Yeah, right. And it's terrifying. Like, you're so scared, and then it ends up to be the best thing. John in Mount Horeb, thank you for calling. What's on your mind? Yes. Well, I was just saying, interesting interview, probably interesting book. Um, but I just, there's just one thing that just kind of jarred me a bit. And that is the description of privilege, which is very much a part of this book, but describing it as white privilege. And there's a lot of whites and people of other races who aren't privileged and, and, and mixing race in with a description of what's going on here is one of those things that kind of divides society needlessly. And so I just think, just think about that, you know, why labeling it as white privilege is a really important part of it. And maybe just leave the white part out and, and concentrate on privilege and the rest of an otherwise good story. And um, that's that's really my concern of just seeing yeah. an overused word out there. Well, John, thank you very much for calling. Uh, Sarah, an interesting comment. What do you think? I mean, do we talk about socioeconomic privileges? I mean, what privilege, like if, if we're going to talk about privileges, why wouldn't we define what different kinds of privileges we're talking about. I mean, if I don't understand how I show up in a room based on the privilege of my, the color of my skin, then it's pretty um, unaware. <laughs> like, it's mm-hmm. like this colorblind concept is actually harmful. It's not, divi- it's not that I'm dividing. It's that I can see that I'm treated differently when I walk into a doctor's appointment. And if I am understanding that and then I can see how other people are treated differently, then I can step in and say, hey, why, why is this happening? It doesn't, it is needless. It doesn't need to happen. It is a construct. And yet not talking about it seems pretty harmful. Yeah. All right. John, thank you for calling. Um, let's go to Rich in Two Rivers. Hi, Rich. Yeah. Hey, Larry. Yeah. I got kind of a question. I don't know if Sarah could answer it or not, but uh, nobody's been around alcohol more than I have my whole life. I ended up growing up in New York. My dad owned a bar. Um, my mother was from Scotland. Alcohol was just a common lifestyle and, uh, it caused many problems in my life. And I always knew it was a problem. And I also knew that I needed to correct it someday or I would die from it, and, which I did. And it wasn't that long ago. It was within a year. And my question is, um, how, co- cause I haven't, I, I kind of knew I had to do it. And, uh, all these years, 60 years. But uh, my question is, uh, how common is it to be able to give up without any help of the various uh, agencies that can help you? And I, I don't feel tempted at all. In fact, I feel better than in my life than I ever had. Um, I mean, I did get help. I there was um, I, I couldn't have done it without AA. 
actually. Well, I don't know. Maybe I could have. But at that point in my life, I needed, I needed other people. I needed, um, I needed tools that I didn't know I had. I that I did have. It was just shown to me um, what I had inside. But no, I I needed AA to get clean. So that was my experience. Um, I'm I don't go to AA anymore. I actually do drink um, socially. I was sober for 10 years, and I was in AA for five years. Um, so my story is a little bit different. I think everybody's experience with alcoholism is different. And, um, but I am so grateful for finding. And for me, it was necessary to find AA meetings in English because I was learning Spanish. And so mm-hmm. that I needed to really deepen into um, my, within my native language. Um, so... That and, was my experience. And within that particular group, there were some expats, and actually, were most there, of them. Most of them were expats. Oh, right? I was, I was twenty four, twenty five, and the majority, like everyone there, was older white people from the United States and Canada who were in those rooms, who were living there, you know, six months out of the year, and they had like twenty, thirty years of sobriety, and I was like two days, so, so you know, I was like, I like cannot comprehend. The barrier, like it just seemed so far from what was possible. Uh, Rich, thank you uh, so much for calling. Uh, let's take another call. Uh, Lyric in Blanchardville, thank you for calling. Larry, the, uh, you're always so good with your interviews, and this is one of the most exciting interviews I've heard. Uh, my daughter's a librarian near Boulder, Colorado. Uh, this book would be so good for youth to read. And is there a way that sometime there be a, a way to have a tape of this program where if somebody wanted to send it to libraries along with the, a book, they could do that so that if they were, say, high schoolers who graduated during COVID and they're more isolated, that they could see the importance of this book? Your speaker is incredible. She's such a good role model for how to be a positive person. I'm so excited you interviewed her. Thank you for both of you very much oh. for being a, a positive light in what's going on in the world today, okay? Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Lyric. There kind of is a way um, that the show is available because uh, it's a podcast. We make it into a podcast. And so anybody can go to ideas at wpr.org slash Larry. Uh, not too long after the show. What is it, Lee? Maybe an hour or two, uh, something like that. Uh, and that is available at uh, the Larry Mueller Show. Today's date, Look on, looking, uh, you know, and get the podcast for it. And so, <laughs> Larry, you know, all of your, but I, I see your point, and it's, it's, uh, it's well taken. It's something that I hope a lot of people read, and uh, I hope your book, and I hope a lot of people, uh, I know a lot of people are listening to this show, but I know also that a lot of people listen to the podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of, it's a the, great resource. It's, it's a great resource. So thank you so much. Uh, for your comments, um, Lyric, I, I really appreciate it. And it is in it is in libraries. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it probably it can it can be it, it can be in yeah in other cities. I know for sure it's in the um, Madison 
public libraries, but I do know that you can just call the library and ask them for it too. It's um, you can get it. Yeah, and so it's something to to think about, Lyric, uh, with especially with your daughter, I believe, who's a, a librarian out in Colorado. We actually get calls from Colorado once in a while. Hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of people listen online too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to the show as it's going on. Uh, I think New Zealand, and, or maybe it was Germany, are the two the the furthest wow. calls that we've uh, that we've had. Well, there's still a little time. You can join in eight hundred six four two one two three four one eight hundred six four two one two three four, or you can go ahead and email us the email address ideas at wpr dot org ideas at wpr dot org. Um, Love to hear from you. And we've got a caller coming up, and uh, uh, we'll get to that caller in just a minute. I want to go back to the this whole business about um, when you were pregnant, um, you saw things differently. Uh, when you found out you were pregnant, you found out things, uh, you saw things differently. And others didn't know the change in your life. Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where you find out this thing that changes everything, right? Like I um, I was in denial. Carlos was certain I was pregnant. I was like, I am not. And so then when I finally found out that I was, you know, walking around, it, it was fascinating. Just feel like, you know, everyone who didn't know and nobody knew because I hadn't told anyone – was going on with their life and they were treating me the same. And yet this, my whole life was changing and it, it gives perspective too. When I walk around, yeah, I don't know what people are dealing with. I don't know what they just found out that morning. And my mom taught me to do that with drivers. Like when a driver like cuts me off, instead of getting mad, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what if they're rushing to the hospital? Cause they just got a phone call. You know, like I get super um, compassionate instead of angry. Cause you just don't know what's going on for people. Um, and that was one of those times where it was happening to me, and I got to experience it on the other side. And you would look at people, you'd look at their faces and try to find uh, the power in those faces? Oh, yes, yeah. Like, the just the power of connection when I was feeling lonely and isolated. Like, instead of feeling bad for myself or, or you know, in my own fear, and, and I was terrified, literally like I was like what am I doing I'm living in Mexico I'm teaching English I don't have insurance I'm living in a studio apartment like I didn't even have a tv like I how was I gonna get a crib and like I just couldn't comprehend I was like not feeling like I could do motherhood and then I would connect with someone like on the bus that's what I called them love bursts and I would look at someone and I would just imagine the people that loved them and then that they had a world that was beautiful and it kind of reminded me that I'm not I'm not alone I'm not you know it's not just about me like there's a whole world out there and and there's a lot of love Kind of a cool way to look at it. Ben and Madison will give you a chance. Hi, Ben. Hi. Um, I really appreciate the show. I've been in recovery for a long time, and I suffered with mental illness, depression, uh, which also got me into recovery at the time, and I was a religious person. And I have found healing through recovery, which doesn't involve uh, this spirituality aspect. So there have been callers that have called in, 
kind of bent on the, you know, on the spiritual nature, but I find uh, psychology as well as uh, uh, the founders of AA made it clear that they recognized that there were atheists and agnostics in AA, and they never wanted to provide a barrier or or a uh, you know a separate class of people in recovery. Um, like holding people to a bar that you needed to be spiritual or religious. So there may be some people that just don't know that. So there are many of us in recovery that are simply agnostic or atheists that get a great benefit from recovery. Ben, uh, thank you so much for calling. And Sarah, I'm sure you have a comment. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I actually... um, uh, yeah, it, it's not all about God. And I sometimes I feel like I use the word God too much in the book um, that might throw people off because nowadays I use universe and energy more. But back then, that's the word I used. So I wanted to be true to that. Um, but no, there's a lot of ways to get help for recovery. And AA is not the only way either. Like, yes, there AA is open to a lot of different people. Um, the book Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker super powerful book and just turns things around when we look at um, who who we're serving and how and how we're lifting people up. So I just encourage people, if you are struggling at all, there are so many people who want to talk about it, who want to help, who are open, and it's on your timeline and your, you know, it, this is your story too, but there are people out there who want to share their stories to help. What are you most proud of when thinking about this time in your life? I'm so proud of the fact that I um, <laughs> that I was able to shift my thought process about how I thought my life was going to be and be open to what my life was becoming and not um, and not try to hold on to my idea of this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And the minute I had that thought, I was able to be like, but I don't know what's meant for me. And so, like, how can I be open? That's what I'm most proud of, because that takes me through any situation in my life. Well, I tell you what, you have uh, written a wonderful book. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. And um, I hope lots of people, and a lot of people probably have already read the book, but I hold, hope a lot, many more thousands read it. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being with us today. It's a real pleasure Uh, to talk with you and about your life. And uh, I hope we can talk again down the road. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sarah Alvarado is the author of this memoir. It's titled Dreaming in Spanish, An Unexpected Love Story in Puerto Vallarta. It was so great to have her with us today. And believe me, we did not get through everything that was uh, in the book. And so if you think you've, we've, you've heard it all now, you've not. <laughs> okay? And if you thought we were going to be talking about um, how to move to a different country, we're not. We're going to be taking it. There's a little problem. We're going to be taking an open line, and we'll be getting your thoughts about what other programs, maybe other books, maybe other topics. I'm Larry Miller. You're listening to the Ideas Network. We'll be back right after the news. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ideas Network. Larry Miller here. 
Well, we had planned to have a segment next on moving and living in a different country. Uh, but the person was uh, already living in a different country in Portugal. And uh, we ran into some problems uh, with connections there. So at the last minute, it, we decided, you know what, we're going to do an open line and we're going to have you tell us about shows that you think um, would be good for this for this show, for this topic, for this time segment. So from 11 to 12.30. So uh, if you have some ideas, I hope you'll join in. The number is 800-642-1234. Or if you want to email us, you can email your idea in as well to ideas at WPR. Dot org. You know, I think it's always, uh, we could always do a better job in promoting our book club selections. Uh, and each year uh, we do five. So every couple of months we do a section and we have a book and we have them all set up for the year. The first, of course, you just heard, uh, Dreaming in Spanish by Sarah Alvarado. Wonderful book. We highly recommend it. We do spend a fair amount of time on selecting these books. Uh, we go for um, a Wisconsin author. What's one uh, criteria? Could be a Wisconsin author. If not a Wisconsin author, we like the stories to be set in Wisconsin or at least in the Midwest. But we really lean to Wisconsin because we want that local tie. So let me just tell you quickly of about the upcoming books for 2024 after dreaming in Spanish in April, April 25th. Uh, there's a novel it's titled the restaurant inspector written by Alex Pickett. And it's a dark comedy, a dark comedy, and it's set in Wisconsin. And I'm just starting now to sit down to take a look at it, uh, to read it myself. Uh, another, so that's April 25th, The Restaurant Inspector, and June 27th, the title is The Peacekeeper. It's a novel by B.L. Blanchard, and I'm really looking forward to getting into this. This is against the backdrop of a never, think of a never colonized North America and a broken Ojibwa detective embarks on an emotional and twisting journey towards solving two murders, also rediscovering family and finding himself. And so it's set in a never-colonized North America. Is that cruel? It's titled The Peacekeeper, B.L. Blanchard. August 22nd, we'll be looking at the book Blue Lake, it's written by Jeffrey Bolt. And, and Blue Lake sets the stage for a thrilling mystery. It's set against the, the rich beauty of black spruces, white pines, and austere upper Midwest lakes. A very compelling and richly layered story about nature and our place within it uh, that lands with a, a rare, I think, emotional depth. An emotional depth like you, you hear, you just heard in Dreaming in Spanish. A, a different way of looking at it, but certainly there. Uh, so that's August 22nd, Blue Lake. And then October 24th, the t you know, here just in time for Halloween, uh, that we have the title, When I'm Dead. And it's by Wisconsin author 
Hannah Morrissey. A spooky story uh, uh, set for uh, next October, kind of uh, in October 24th, so it's just before Halloween. So we thought that would be a perfect book. So April 25th, The Restaurant Inspector. June 27th, The Peacekeeper. August 22nd, uh, Blue Lake. And October 24th, When I'm Dead. And I believe... If you go to uh, ideas at wpr.org slash Larry, you will find that listing. At least I hope you will. <laughs> it, they should be there with the dates and everything. So if you want to get into this a little more, uh, and we're going to try and do a little better job letting you know as each comes up, but um, I can recommend the books that we've got coming. So uh, now let's take a look at what you want to know or what what, um, you would like to have on the show. And again, the number to call is 800-642-1234, or you can email us, email address ideas at wpr.org. And let's go uh, to Zach in Appleton. Zach, hi, thank you for calling. Hey, Larry, love your show. You are... uh increasing the bandwidth of all young minds and old minds alike, and I appreciate that. I just wanted to uh, to bring up a topic that it's a point of contention for my household with my fiancé and myself is child care. We have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. My fiancé is pregnant. I work full-time. Um, she, unfortunately, is working full-time as well, remotely, thankfully. But relying on your parents, um, sometimes that option isn't there or it becomes comes with some additional issues or concerns that you weren't aware of, but any tips of places to go for childcare, affordable options, any grants or subsidies that are offered, and what else we can do to help uh, the workforce, the younger workforce, continue to provide for the economy while taking care of their children. And I'll take my answer offline. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, uh, Zach, very much for that. Childcare, that's something that I was trying to think about when we have last done a show on child care, and it's been a long time. So, and it's certainly on everybody, on a lot of people's minds right now. So uh, we have noted that, and we will take it to heart. Thank you. Uh, Helen in Wisconsin, your turn. I would, like to, I would like a program on geothermal for heating your home in Wisconsin. Uh, in Wisconsin, if there's contractors and what the costs are and the probabilities of it being successful, where you drill straight down into the ground to get your heat and and uh, bring it back up. As a matter of fact, yeah, and it's come up from time to time, and I can tell you that I have a my own home is a geothermal. I have, and I did it the way you're talking about now. There are four 180 foot holes sunk in the driveway of my house that brings up that 55 degree air uh but there are and that system is probably 12 years old 10 12 years old right now and we put that in when we moved into the place um but uh and there are issues with it there are some issues with it it has to be installed properly and you know and at the same time uh there are new systems that um or revised systems that may even work better, and there's even some potential funding opportunities for it. So, Helen, I can promise you we will do a show on geothermal. 
Thank you very much uh, for that uh, suggestion. Uh, let's see. Again, you can join in. Number to call 800-642-1234. Email to ideas at wpr.org. Uh, Jane in Manitowoc, we'll go to you. Hi, Jane. Hello, Larry. Thank you so much for all the wonderful shows you've done over the years. Thank you very and, much. Uh, you're very welcome. I was. I would love to have some WPR shows on VA benefits. And I was a county veteran service officer, accredited nationally for 12 years. And I also teach now as a volunteer online now that I'm retired. And less than VA's own data shows that less than 25% of our surviving dependents, meaning widows and such, are receiving the benefits they're eligible for because they simply don't know they exist. And yet oh. VA does nothing to advertise. Well, I tell you what, I'm uh, I'm all for a show on that, Jane. It's um, and maybe if you have some ideas about uh, maybe you have some suggested uh, some people that you think might be good for the show, uh, um, maybe rather than even saying I'm saying those names, or maybe you want to think about it for a, a bit. Um, Shoot me an email or shoot the program an email. I'm, um, just Well, for me, it's just M-E-I-L-L-E-R at W-I-S-C dot E-D-U. But um, if you send an email to the station and, and um, put it for my attention or Jill Nadeau's attention, uh, if you have some suggestions. Otherwise, we certainly can look up ideas uh, for... Uh, Guess, but I think that's a really good point you raise. And we'll we'll follow up. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Cheryl in Berlin. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for calling. Hi. Yeah, my husband had a very severe stroke four months ago, and I would really appreciate um, a show on uh, what causes different types of strokes and caring for a person after he's had a stroke. Boy, you know what? I think that's a, another, I mean, these are all good <laughs> topics for sure. And strokes, uh, stroke has come up on the show. And I think it's, uh, in, in those kinds of situations, sometimes it's good to have a, a doctor on who deals with strokes, but at the same time, having uh, someone who is sort of on the social side of recovery um, and having two at the same time. And I know in the past, it's been a, well, I mean, even remember when it was last on. It's been a few years uh, where we had a pair on like that. And it turned out to be a very illuminating uh, discussion. So uh, Cheryl, we'll look back into that and we will see what we can come up with my my own father had a stroke and it was a a, a hard time getting through that i had a friend who uh, had a stroke a couple of years back and and the, the outcomes um and getting through the social part of it can be uh, difficult to say the least so we'll we'll uh, look into it cheryl thank you uh ann in sturgeon bay your turn hi ann hi larry um I think it'd be interesting to hear about any research that's been done on the effects of screen time on young children 
their social development, language development, and in later years, their reading ability. I know Wisconsin is looking at statewide reading curriculum right now, uh, but I haven't heard any talk about putting our young children on a screen and that effect. Yeah. And, of course, um, a lot of them were, well, nowadays so many kids have their own um, screens, their own phones, even at a very young age. And, of course, the screen time, uh, thinking back to 2020 and 2021 and even 2022, is kind of forced in the education side even to look at more screens uh, even when they're not looking at their own personal screens, they may be taking classes uh, uh, that way. So a good topic and one we can follow up on. Thank you. Let me turn to Sheila in Lacrosse next. Hi, Sheila. Hi. I was wondering if you could do a program on the needs for high-functioning autistic adults and perhaps housing and services and the maybe unique mental health care needs they might have? Uh, we can indeed. I, Sheila, thank you so much uh, for that question. I'm, and and high-functioning adults, there's a, there's a television show that's produced in France. It's called Astreed, uh, is the title. And I've watched uh, the three seasons of it, and I'm w- eagerly awaiting the fourth. And it has to do with a woman whose name is Astreed, or Astrid, we might say. It's in French, so it's subtitles if, you're, uh, if you don't know French. But it's very compelling. She is a highly functioning autistic who happens to work in criminal in the um, criminal records division in Paris, and because of her her special abilities, uh, which us, many autistic uh, people have, she is um, because she knows the records so well. She is able to put together uh, to help put together solutions for murders that <laughs> occur in Paris. Anyway. That's just an aside, but I wanted to put in that that plug for Astrid, and uh, and the the nice part about it is that there are many autistic um, folks in the film in the series, and so you learn a lot about um, various types of autism, and uh, while you're also getting kind of an exciting story about the solution to. Uh, uh, murders. <laughs> it's kind of a strange thing, but well, we won't talk about a street on the show, uh, but we will, we can get somebody to talk about those services and about uh, understanding autistic adults better. Thank you. Uh, Gianni in Montello, thank you for calling. Yes, good afternoon, Larry. Hey, listen, I would like to um, hear a show on the status and potential vulnerability of our power grid here in the United States. You know, uh, from I think most of the 20th century um, and certainly now in the uh, 21st century, um, we are been ever reliant on electricity, unless you're Amis or in a very remote area. And um, I think uh, this is... Um, one of the most pivotal topics um, that we, we could be discussing right now. What is the status of our power grid, and what would be the ramifications of it going down for weeks, months? Oh. I mean, 
days even. <laughs> well, even days are a problem, right? But you know, Ted Koppel wrote wrote a book uh, about I think it was ten years ago, um, uh, Lights Out, and he painted a very dismal picture going forward um, because of the um, the power grid and its uh, reliance on foreign uh, components. They're not manufactured here yeah. anymore. Gianni, thank you so much uh, for that. We'll look into that as well, and it's obviously it's an, an important issue for all of us uh, in this country and other countries as well. So certainly worth a look for sure. Thank you, uh, Jesse and Lacrosse. What's on your mind? Hey, Larry. Um, I've been a longtime listener, and uh, you know on. Chapter a day about eight years back, I heard a book called The Heart of Things by John Hildebrand, a Wisconsin author. Yeah. And I just fell in love with all of his works. Um, so I was wondering if you'd be able to have him on the show to do an interview sometime. I have had John on the show <laughs> for some interviews, but uh, and I'm and he's such a thoughtful speaker and well, a very thoughtful writer, but also a very thoughtful speaker. And he's always on my list. Um, if, uh, you know, if John gets a new book out, uh, we typically, unless um, one of the other shows happens to see it first and steals it away from us, <laughs> we, we, ha- we have him on. So I can promise you, uh, John's next book, uh, we'll have him uh, on the show. Uh, thank you very much. Sue emailed to suggest a show about a way for a college student to get financial help other than just loans. When the FAFSA says the parents' income disqualifies them for grants, but they they don't help their child with college expenses, summer jobs just don't cover enough. So yeah, so they the parents uh, they, they have enough income. Uh, maybe to live, but not enough to qualify them, uh, the student, for grants. And so um, FAFSA, well, we can look at FAFSA, we can look at loans, and uh, certainly I have a daughter now as a junior in college, so I know all about that. I I had some fortunate, I have some luck uh, along the way for me. That helped, which I will divulge during that that discussion when we get this going. Thank you. Um, Amy in Milwaukee emailed to ask for a show that about what happens to the cars when they're donated to WPR. And I think um, I am not completely sure. I think Lee Rayburn usually takes them and uh, sells them. No, <laughs> no, he doesn't. Uh, we get, you know what? We should get Sarah Ashworth on the show and, and have her talk about, there are a lot of questions like that, that um, she probably has the answer for. And I don't necessarily off the top of my head. So, I, I'm going to put out, Sarah, if you're listening, uh, we want to get you, get you over here to be on the show so you can answer some of these. There are other questions, too, that uh, people have um, and uh, relating to WPR that I know there'd be a lot of calls uh, in, not only about the cars, but about a whole other, lot of other things as well. And Mike and Madison, 
What's on yeah, what's on your mind for a suggestion? Uh, my suggestion is an add-on to the previous one of the previous callers about our electrical grid and how we're so uh, tied to it right now, and how that will affect our electric car uh, market as we can currently can't even keep up with air conditioning in half of the United States with brownouts and blackouts. How are we going to accommodate? multiple million of electrical cars and how are we going to deal with the process of all these electric cars now are 80 percent of them are made from petroleum based plastics non-recyclable non-renewable plastics and how are we going to where are we going to put uh, multiple millions of cars and solar panels and wind turbines in new dumps uh i think it would be a great topic how are we going to deal with all this electricity and electric yeah. car leftovers Good questions, Mike. And um, I know there's an, uh, there's at least one engineer at the University of Wisconsin Madison who is uh, done some as doing research ongoing about that topic. So we will uh, definitely uh, look into that. There's a show we do the last Monday of the month that often involves uh, topics like this, and so we'll do that. And Margaret emailed, uh, suggest homegrown national parks. Um, homeowners can bring their nature back with and support diversity right in their own yards. Entomologist uh, Doug Tallamy, we've talked with Doug in the past, and we will have him back. So thank you for all those suggestions. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow we'll be talking about heirloom seeds with Jer Gettle of Baker Creek Seeds. Uh, always love talking with him. That's tomorrow on Garden Talk. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And please stay with us. Lots in store on the Ideas Network. I'm Larry Mueller.